Hello. Welcome to Three Things by Vela Wood. This is Kevin Vela. With me here is Aaron Turway. Aaron? Hello. Welcome. Welcome. For those of you who have listened to VK, formerly known as VK, VW Podcast in the past, you'll know that we held a couple of them called Office Hours, where we would talk about issues related to small businesses and startups. We're still going to continue that. We're going to pick that back up. There's been a little bit of delay in between podcasts. We apologize. We were just resting our voices and coming up with new content. I'd be amazed if we have any of the same listeners we had before. I'm pretty sure my mom will download and listen. So at least one, uh, assuming her iTunes account hasn't been hacked or she didn't lose her password. But what we want to do today is start a new series of podcasts called Three Things. And Aaron and I are going to kick this off. Aaron and I, for those of you who may not be familiar with the firm or Aaron and I, Aaron and I are attorneys. Uh, at a firm called Vela Wood based in Dallas, and we work a lot with startups and small businesses. In fact, Aaron's practice is primarily focused on venture financing, and so he's got a ton of experience. And through the years, myself and this firm has represented hundreds and hundreds of startups and small businesses around the world. So what we want to do here is start a series of podcasts called Three Things, where we bring in founders employees, investors, people related to the startup, and also small business community. Because let's be honest, Aaron, startups and small businesses are very, very similar. Maybe they have different trajectories or different exit plans. But all the issues facing a small business are the same that are facing a startup early on. So what we want to do is bring in people and discuss three things that they wish they would have known or three pieces of advice they would give to someone who is starting a business or launching a new endeavor. So what we're going to do today is start with three things that Aaron and I would give. We each have our, each have our own list. We each came with our own list. There was no collaboration prior to doing this. And we're going to say these are the three things that we would tell a startup or a small business coming in here and looking for advice into launching their business. Well, right off the bat, we should probably say that none of this is legal advice. That's right. That's right. This is not constitute employee, excuse me, a, a, a client, an attorney-client relationship. If you are a client and you have a question about this, then call us and let's discuss it as it pertains to you. If you're not a client, call, call us. Call us, sure. Always looking for new clients. Uh, yeah, Aaron and I are speaking generally about the legal community. This does not con- constitute legal advice, especially to the fact that it's bad advice. It definitely. Or legal advertising, for that matter. Not legal advertising. If you could just pull up the State Bar website, Aaron, just run through all the disclaimers when you do on that. That'd be great. But okay, so let's get going again. This is three things. We're going to try and keep these relatively short. Aaron, I have a lot of information to kick out today, but I think moving forward, we're going to try and do a new one of these at least once or twice a month, if not once a week, and bring in different founders so you guys can get different perspectives. So Aaron, the question I pose to you is, we've got a new business coming in here. They want to start a company and they say, all right, what are three things that I need to know? What are the three big or core pieces of advice that you're going to give me? What do you got? What's your number one? Number one, document everything. Uh, get everything in writing. Make sure you have them sign it. Just because. who's them? We talk about them. What do you mean? Whoever you're trying, you, you right. might want to enforce this against. You right. know, so if you know you got some guy that's going to sell you widgets for a dollar a piece, and you think they're actually worth two dollars a piece or three dollars a piece, make sure he signs the agreement that says it's, he's going to sell them to you for a dollar a piece. So let's talk about when we when we talk about getting in writing. You know, everything that you can get in writing. So let's break it down. From the inception, you want the founders to have something in writing, right? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, yeah, when you're starting a company, everybody's happy. Everybody sees dollar signs. Everybody thinks this is the next billion-dollar idea, and it very well may be. However, everybody's in a good mood right then, so let's get documents signed then because in six months you might all hate each other, <laughs> and uh, it's easier to get stuff signed when you like each other than when you hate each other. So do you think if this guy comes in, let's say two founders come in, in our office, do they need to hire us right then and there? No. 
No, no. I don't think so. And I agree no, totally no. with Darren. No, they can, they can, you can write an agreement on the back of a cocktail napkin and get everybody to sign it, and it's going to be binding as long as, you know, you have the elements of the contract. That's correct. So, you know, the key piece here is, the key idea here is get it in writing. So if you and your co-founder start a business and he's going to do sales and you're going to be the technical officer and he's going to own 50% and you're going to own 50% and you're going to commit to 10 hours a week, nights and weekend, or you guys are both going to quit your jobs in three months. We see this one all the time. They come in and say, well, I'm going to quit my job in three months and he's going to start full time right now. And then three months comes and the business isn't making a million dollars a month yet, you know, like uh, unlike your, your Excel projections. And then founder B isn't ready to quit his job. But if you have it in writing that says, hey, you said if you didn't quit, you would quit your job in three months. So if not, I'm going to get that equity back or something like that. So put in writing your roles, your responsibilities, your obligations. Put on the back of a cocktail napkin. That's fine. Preferably on a piece of paper or maybe even right. typed up. Yeah. That's okay. But anything, Or just Google Founders Agreement. There are tons of tons examples of out there. tons of resources out there. When you're ready, go and talk to an attorney. Talk to a startup attorney. They'll help you to properly document this. But these things... If not, look, you're probably not going to go to court over these things. Hopefully not. But just having it in writing forces both of the parties or all of the parties to commit to something, to be obligated to something. And that's really key. So get in writing agreements between founders. Aaron's talking about agreements with your vendors, agreements with your developers. I want to talk about developers, Aaron, when we get to my three. So we'll talk about that. Get everything in writing. Okay. That's number one. Number two, Aaron, what do you got? Uh, Again, this relates to founders, but lock up your IP. Um, you know, there's a pretty basic but very important document called a Confidential Information and Inventions Assignment Agreement, which you want to make sure that, you know, especially if you're, you know, starting a company that has anything to do with technology or intellectual property, which, let's be honest, most companies these days have intellectual property that need to protect. You want to make sure that everybody that's working for the company, whether they're founders or whether they're developers, um, they're signing documents that say, you know, any intellectual property that they're creating in the course of their employment or their service to the company belongs to the company. hundred percent agree. Let me give you, give you guys a practical example of, of how people get burned on this. Let's say Aaron and I are going to form a company and we're talking about it. We're having beers one night and Aaron says, that's a great idea. It's called podcasters.com. And he runs and buys the domain name podcasters.com. Probably taken. Let's get podcasters.net. Probably available. Podcasters.us. If you would like to have a ranking of me and Ray Corrales, uh top domain name extensions, look at our podca- podcast archives. You'll see that we're not high on .NETs. My apologies any clients of a .NET extension. But anyway, so Aaron goes out there and grabs www.podcasters.net. And then a week later, we sit down and we take our own advice. We put our roles and obligations on a piece of paper. And then a month later, we incorporate the company and we may put a little capital into it. We start running along. And then three months later, Aaron says, you know what, Kevin, I hate you. I'm, I'm leaving. And he says, I'm leaving the company. You can keep the company. I don't even care. I said, great. Okay, well, give me the domain name. And Aaron says, nah, screw you. I don't want to deal with that. Then I call GoDaddy. I say, well, Aaron left the company. And here's a recording. I record everything he says to me. Here's a recording of him saying, I'm leaving the company. You can have it. GoDaddy's going to say, his name's on the domain register page. He's the one who paid for it. Aaron owns the domain name. Your company does not own the domain name. So this is a key thing. Now, had I had Aaron sign this confidential information invention assignment agreement, also known as just an IP assignment agreement, had I had Aaron sign an IP assignment agreement to the company, then the company would clearly own that domain name. And this extends beyond domain names. It can be trademarks. It can be just ideas in general, patentable items, copyrightable items, all sorts of things. So the key is when you form the company, you want to get the IP out of the founder's heads and into the company. This can also be really important with your early stage contractors because what a lot of times startups do is they go and they hire their buddy to do the development work 
And the startup probably doesn't have a lot of money. And the buddy says, oh, sure, that's easy for me to do. I'll do it nights and weekends. Then it gets to be a much more complicated process. And the buddy says, well, now you got to pay me. And the company says, we don't have any money. I thought we were friends. And you don't have any money to pay me. He says, well, I'm going to leave. You say, well, give me the IP. Why is he going to give you the IP? You never paid him anything. You don't own the IP. So you've got to make sure that we have clear documentation on transferring IP into the company. Okay? So number one, number two, lock up your IP. IP yeah. stands for intellectual property. Right. If my and, mom's listening. <laughs> and, you know, the, I think the key words you're looking for, you know, in, in one of those agreements is make sure you were talking about works for hire. Work for hire. Copyrightable, your trademarkable work needs to be work for hire so that it, everybody knows that the company owns it. That's correct. This is assuming you pay for it. Right. right. So you you got to pay for it, but agree. Okay. So that's number two. What's your third point, Aaron? Vest everybody. Vest uh, everybody. Even, you know, even you, the primary founder of this startup, vest your equity. Um, Why would I want to vest my own equity in my own startup? Uh, because eventually you're going to have to, because when you get investors, the investors are going to want to make sure that the equity of the company that they're investing in, to the extent that it's you know being held by a, a founder or a co-founder, make sure that they can't walk away and take 50, 60, 70% of the company. That's a key point. And, and that's what you guys have to understand, those of you listening, is your investors don't want to make sure that the company that you are incentivized to stick with the company. Because if you own 60, 70% of the company and then the company gets on a nice path and you're not vesting your ownership, then what's to prevent you from just walking away and walking with 60 or 70% of the company? And then from a co-founder perspective, this goes back to what we talked about with getting in writing and then also locking up your IP. Make sure that the co-founders aren't going to leave. And if a co-founder does leave, and look guys, we have found through our, our experience, we have we see co-founder breakups all the time. But they're not always for a bad reason. A lot of times there's a, a just a real-life reason. Maybe someone's kids are really sick and this person needs to move somewhere with special care. This person needs a job that has health care or maybe even a salary. Perhaps uh, the person's spouse got a job in another city and they can't continue to work on the startup remotely. I mean, people leave startups all the time for legitimate reasons. But when the co-founder leaves, let's don't let them leave with their with their equity. So you got to put their equity on a vesting schedule a lot of times it's called a release schedule or a repurchase schedule. There's lots of information out there. You can crawl through our website. We've provided this. But make sure that everyone vests their interest. This is co-founders. This is early employees, even the founder. Okay? Any more thoughts on that one, Aaron? No. Okay. So Aaron's top three. Tell me again, Aaron. The document everything. Document everything. Lock up your IP. Lock up your IP. And vest everybody. Okay. Invest everybody. And so those would have been my three as well. And I think it just goes to show you. Those have been my first three in our business, working with startups and small businesses. Those are really the key things. With Aaron having said all those already, I wanted to share three more that we see a lot that I don't think a lot of people think about. The first one, and for all you developers out there, I apologize, but for you non-developers out there, non-engineers, non-coders, non-software guys, for anyone looking to hire these people, this is a very difficult process. And we see a lot of startups that come in and they say, well, my buddy can do this or a friend of a friend can do it or I know some guy in India who's going to do it and they can do it for cut rate. Yes, those do exist. And you can find needles in a haystack that some amazing developer oversees that can work with your schedule and can translate what you're trying to do and you know accept your directions in English and understand it and see your vision. But that's very difficult to do. Moreover, your friend who works as a software engineer for a big company and then is going to do this nights and weekends – that's fine for now until he or she joins a kickball league or starts dating someone or gets really into, you know, Pokemon Lost. Go. 
Pokemon Go. No one probably watches Lost War, huh? Well, I don't think Pokemon Go is a thing okay. anymore. Yeah, or, or gets really into you know Game of Thrones, and they decide to go on a two week Game of Thrones marathon. And your project that they're billing nights and weekends, and you know at reduced rate, isn't really that interesting to them anymore. So when you're hiring developers, a couple of things: one. I don't mind going through a friend of a friend, but make sure you've seen their work. Make sure you vet them and get a contract. A big development shop, anyone who does this, you know, as a full-time job, they will have a contract already. If they don't, that's okay, but you really need to consult with your attorney to make sure you got a good development services contract in place. Secondly, make sure you get a clear scope of work. Frame by frame, screenshot by screenshot. Uh, web, you know, page by page, exactly what is being built. Because I have come to find out over time that a founder who has a vision, it is very difficult for the founder to put that vision onto paper and then to translate that to a developer. And so the developer might be hearing just every other word, or they might be hearing everything the founder's saying, but the founder's not telling them everything because their vision is so big and grandiose. And the founder thinks, well, this is such a great idea. Once he starts building this website, he'll see everything I want to do. He'll understand it and he'll just build those things out. Sure, they'll build those things out for an additional cost. Right. Make sure you we you know you say how much it's going to cost, what that cost entails, and anything else that might be added on later. You need to have that in writing and have everybody sign off on it. Right. So, so get a negotiated know. rate for what's going to be additional. We see a lot of times where our clients who are hiring developers get bills for things they weren't expecting because the client thought it was in the main scope of work. Right. right. They thought this right. is part of the project. The developer says, "Well, it's not in the scope of work," and you ask me to add geolocation. Or you ask me to, you know, add three more pages to your website, that's an additional cost. So make sure with your developers that you have it in writing, the first thing that Aaron said. Make sure that the scope of work is clearly defined. You know what a change order looks like. Don't be afraid to negotiate with them. You can ask for revision. Say, hey, look, I want you to deliver the project to me. And then we get two, you know, sets of revisions to that. And then have the developers have to hit certain milestones. Do not pay them all up front. Please do not pay them all up front, especially for a large project. They're going to need some money up front. I get it. Absolutely. Just like vesting your equity. That's correct. Don't vest it all up front. Pay, you know, if you can get less than 33%, we typically see 20 to 33% of the project up front, maybe another third upon hitting MVP or certain milestones, and then the final payment, maybe a little bit less, 20-10% upon the final product being delivered. So pay those things over time. Also, very key with your developers, make sure you have access to the code repository. Because what you don't want to do, if you pay for a third of that project, then you own a third of that project. And they're usually using GitHub. Pretty much everyone does. I don't even really know what GitHub is. I just hear it all the time. Sounds cool. You should have access to it. Aaron, are you on GitHub? Uh, Is that a thing? I'm not. No, I'm not even on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) But get access to your code, okay? Negotiate your contract. Say, hey, when you get to MVP and I pay for it, I want you to turn over that code to me. Uh, So what were the things? Get in writing. Clearly define the scope of work. Paying milestones, and I think that's it for the developers. You just said milestones. What does that mean? Okay, so milestones meaning the different points of the project. So let's say that, Aaron, we're going to build out a website. So the first part of it might be to build a true wireframe. A wireframe, guys, is like a schematic of what the website's going to look like. They come to this landing page, they go to the next page, next, go to the next page. So that's, that's the wireframe. Then they're going to build the skin. Okay, this is what the website's going to generally look like. Here's the color. Here's the content. Or here's where the layout is. Um, here's where the buttons go. Then they're going to build that. Then they're going to start to build the functionality. You know, you click on here, it goes to this. Then there might be a database behind it. A lot of this stuff, building websites has gotten so much cheaper over time. Heck, it's not just GeoCities anymore. Uh, GeoCities was a great website. But you can go to uh, 
WordPress does a lot of this stuff. If you've got any sort of e-commerce, Shopify, and these are just the ones that we know of. We're not the cool kids in town. There's lots of opportunity or lots of uh, options out there. But you want to try and tie the payments to hitting certain milestones. Ask your developers about that. Do some research on it. There's tons of information available on the web. Okay, so that's my first point is working with developers. Here's my second point. This kind of goes with developers. I find a lot of startups and small businesses are afraid to ask for references. It is rare, Aaron, that clients call us and ask for references. And I probably need to cut this part because I don't know that we want a bunch of people uh, bombarding oh, us with references. I think reference we do. Requests. I think we do. But there is nothing wrong with you saying to the developer, great, you just quoted me $35,000 or $200,000 for the project. Cool. Can you send me three companies that you've worked with who've done something similar? Same thing with your attorneys. Same thing with your accountants. Anyone you're hiring, say, great, can I just get a couple references? For the later stage, we'll get to this down the road, with VCs and investors, I rarely see clients asking for references. I encourage our clients to do it all the time. Hey, you're about to get a, a $2 million check from these guys. Let's make sure they're a good partner. Call them and say, do you mind if I talk to a couple of the other startups that you founded? When people call me and ask for references, Aaron, for you know they want to engage our firm, I think it's great. I think this client is sophisticated. They're doing their homework. I don't have any concerns about what our clients or other clients are going to say about us. And I think it shows a certain level of professionals and maturity in the uh, in the prospective client for us. Yeah, and I think this. I mean, this is something that I tell potential clients all the time. You know, I feel like I had a great meeting with them, but I'm going to tell them go talk to every attorney that you might want to hire, sure. just because you want to make sure that. You know, the developer, the attorney, the CPA, whoever you're hiring for your company is somebody that you have a good relationship with, that you feel comfortable working with, that, you know, when things go south, you feel comfortable telling them, hey, we're running into this problem. Can you give me advice? It needs to be a good fit both ways. Aaron, of course, we love working with startups and small businesses. We're not a good fit for guys that are heavy energy guys no. or oil and gas no. or medical technology, right? We don't have a patent guy here. It's just not good for us. So we will tell people that we can do a lot of this, but there might be some better out there for you. Right. And I think that makes it a good, healthy conversation. Uh, you want to know that your professional and your service providers, the professionals you're engaging, can be honest and transparent with you. Don't be afraid to ask them for references and ask those references what it's like working with them. Okay, so the third point I want to share with you guys on my three things that I would tell a startup, other than Aaron's three things, because I think those are the best three things, is to just slow down. Slow down on the legal side, right? I know you got to ramp up the company and we got to get to, you know, the MVP out and then product market fit and then get to revenues. That's fantastic. You know, do that as quickly as you can. But man, on the legal side, we get a lot of clients that come in here and they say, all right, great. We got legal engaged. So let's do a company agreement, you know, or a bylaws and a stockholder agreement. Okay. Let's give this guy some options. Okay. Great. Bring this guy as an advisor. Okay. Great. This guy's investing $50,000. Um, okay. The first advisor went away, but just send this second advisor some documents. Guys, nothing's going to happen if you don't send the advisor the documents today versus next week. For your investors, I know you get an investor on the hook, man. It's like a fish. You got to reel them in, get them into the boat before, before he hops off the hook. That's okay. The investor is not going to go in a week, go away in a week. So let's slow down, talk to the attorney. Let's figure out what the business points we're trying to accomplish here, what the investment needs to look like, what this advisor is going to do for you. And then also from our perspective, we see this all the time. If you come to us and you say, Hey guys, here's the five things I need done. Give me two weeks to do this. Great. We can do that. We can do that cost efficiently because we're working on your project or on your company all at once. If you come to Aaron, you say, Aaron, here's one thing I need today. You come to him three days later, here's another thing I need today. You come to him a week later, nothing I need today. Aaron has to get back into your documents. He has to get back into your company. 
And we see this and it just, it's not an efficient way for us to work. It's not an efficient way for our relationship to work because typically when that happens, the founder hasn't thought through everything yet and then things are changing. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned it too, because I know you only told me to come up with three things, but my fourth thing that you didn't tell me to come up with was control your burn. Right. And if you slow down and, you know, are methodical and, you you know, you're making sure you think through everything before you run to your lawyer and say, hey, I need to get this documented. You can help control your costs. This is the same way with the developers, right? Because if right. you're rushing the developer, you hire the first guy, it's not a good fit. Right. And even if you took our advice and you only put down five grand or ten grand, now you've got five or ten grand burned. And there's probably not a whole lot you can do with that first initial source code. Right. Because your next developer is going to build in a different platform or do something it's differently. Five to ten grand is a lot of money a for a startup. A lot of money for a startup, right? Same thing with an attorney. We get a lot of guys coming to us who have used attorneys that maybe weren't startup attorneys, maybe weren't a good fit, and they've burned through twenty five hundred or five grand with an attorney already, and then they're bringing us stocks that we really have to rework and start over. So slow down. I think that definitely helps control your burn. Now, controlling your burn for a later stage company is totally different, and we'll get into that hopefully one day down the road. But for right now, just be more methodical with hiring your developers, bring on your advisors, working with your co-founders, getting legal work done. If you can slow that part of it down, you'll actually work more quickly, and you'll be significantly more efficient on your cash resources. Yeah. It's that old adage, you know, what is it? Slow to hire, quick to fire. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Make sure you're thinking things through. All right, guys. Well, that's it for our first installment of three things. Really appreciate you tuning in. Check out our other podcasts. We're going to try and record these and release them more regularly. We're going to bring in other people in our network, some clients, some non-clients, to ask them three things. And we'll try to do this as regular as possible or as frequently as possible. Also, we will continue with the office hours podcast. It's been on a two-year hiatus. So if you have any ideas, if you have any thoughts, if you have any questions, I think what we should do, Aaron, is just remind people at the end of these things. Email us at podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com podcasts at VelaWoodLaw.com. You know, any questions that you have? Vela. We, how do you spell, how do you spell Vela? V-E-L-A. V is in Victor. Oh, Vela. VelaWoodLaw.com. Depends if you're asking my mom, my dad, or my wife how you pronounce the last name. They're all a little different. But uh, email us. We'll take those questions. At some point in time, we'll just do them as we get into these, Aaron, or we can do them at the end or just do a whole FAQ. Yeah, episode. or if you go to our website, VelaWoodLaw.com, make sure you sign up for our newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter. We have a ton of information, guys. Click on the startups page. Check out our blogs. We have written about a lot of these things, and we're releasing a ton of content. Stay tuned. We've got some really exciting things coming up on the website. All about the content, man. Uh, It is all about content. So stay tuned on the website. Subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Do we Snapchat? Do we Snapchat? No, we don't Snapchat. No. Don't don't check us out yeah, on Snapchat. Not. It's not us. And don't <laughs> and don't Snapchat at work. Uh, at Vela Wood Law, I believe is the handle for all of those. Uh, that's V E L A W O D Law dot com. Okay, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com, dot com at Vela Wood Law on social media. Thank you for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Podcast out. Podcast out. <laughs>